Welcome to the Memorial Sermon Podcast. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your walk with God and drive you closer to Jesus. For more information about our church, visit our website, nbcmetairie.org. Now here's this week's message. What if you knew that you had just a little bit of time left? What if you thought about that? You had only just a little bit of time left. What would you say to your family? What would you say to your friends if you knew that you had just a little bit of time left? I was looking up a couple of things uh, this week, and, and, and I noticed I wanted to look at up what maybe some famous people had said, and it was their almost famous last words. You've heard that, that expression, you know, the famous last words. You know, someone has famous last words. Well, did you know that there are several people that, quite honestly, have, they have famous last words? couple of them looked at their wives and they said how much they loved them and they appreciated them. Let me give you one. You'll probably know this, especially guys in the room. You know who Vince Lombardi is. You know, that's how where we get the Lombardi trophy for the Super Bowl, all that. Vince Lombardi, he died of cancer in 1970. And as he died, Lombardi, listen to this, turned to his wife Marie. These were his last words. He said, it happened to be close to his anniversary. And he said, happy anniversary. I love you. Isn't that crazy? All the things that he had done for football, all the things that he had done for the league, all the things that... And he loved his wife. Happy anniversary. That was the last thing that he said. Let me give you another one. A good, a good man's man. Let me give you one. John Wayne. John Wayne was 72 years of age and he died in L.A. And during that time, as he was on his, his last uh, you know, few days, he turned to his wife and he said, of course I know who you are. Apparently someone asked him, you know, sometimes the people when they're, you know, when they're dying, they might be a little bit disoriented. His wife probably asked him, do you know who I am? He said, of course I know who you are. Listen to what John Wayne, man's man said, you're my girl and I love you. Isn't that good? Winston Churchill, Winston Churchill for the the, the British folks in, in the house today. He was a British statesman, soldier, and writer. This one cracked me up. Sir Winston Churchill, his last words, you'll find this so interesting, were this. I'm just so bored with it all. Can you imagine that? So bored. World War II wasn't good enough for him. He just, I'm just so bored with it all. My goodness. Mo Berg was a baseball player in 19. He started uh, 15 seasons of Major League Baseball. First, uh, first uh, season was in 1923. That kind of gives you an idea of how long he was in baseball. Mo Berg, baseball player, his last words. You know what his last words were? How did the Mets do today? And you think about that. Let me give you one more. Joseph Henry Green was a surgeon. And he was born in the late 1700s. He started doing surgery in the early 1800s. And he was a surgeon. And listen to this. This I found was so fascinating. He was checking his own pulse as he was on his deathbed, as he lay dying. In his last words, you ready for this? He said, it stopped. And then he died. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? That is so weird. You know, it's like, it stopped. Boom. You know, he's over but I thought about Christian men and women throughout history and some of the things, some of the words that we have in them. I, I found a, a book uh, this past week as I was studying, getting ready for, for you guys. And it started talking about different people who had been martyred for the faith. 
different uh, early church fathers and the things that they had said. And as I was walking through different ones, obviously I don't have time to talk about them this morning, but I was so encouraged. Many of them were going to either be burned at the stake. Many of them were, like I'm about to share with you this morning, Ignatius, I put him in your notes this morning. And, and, and as I was reading through them, I, I, I began to tear up. and I said, man, I want to be like these men, I want to be like these women who gave their lives for Christ. Look at your notes if you got them here this morning. He said, he said this, this is Ignatius, the, the bishop of Antioch. He was martyred in 116 AD after receiving a sentence to be devoured by wild beasts. This is what he said. All the ends of the world and all the kingdoms in it will profit me nothing. I would rather die for Jesus Christ than to rule to the utmost ends of the earth. Him I seek who died for us. Him I desire who rose again. This is the gain that is laid up for me. My love is crucified. He said, man, my love, my passion in life is Jesus Christ. And even though I've got this sentence on my life and he was getting ready to go into the arena and all these vicious animals were going to come after him, he said, none of that stuff matters. You just give me Jesus because that's where my love is. Now today we're going to talk about the Apostle Paul, some of his last words. Now, not before his death, but to a group of people that he would never see again, the leaders of the church in Ephesus. And so if you got your Bible, I want you to be with me in Acts chapter 20. Let's just kind of get an idea of where we are. I've given you a map on the back of your notes because I want you to kind of see where things are and where things have been, where we're coming from. If you look on that map that's in your notes, you'll see a little city called Troas. It's probably right there in the middle. And so I want you to kind of put your finger on Troas because that's where we're going to start from. That's where we left off last week. And in verse 13, got your Bible in your other hand, it says, we went on ahead of the ship and we sailed for Azoth. So they're, they're moving. The Apostle Paul is trying to make his way along with his companions. He's trying to get to Jerusalem and it says where we were going to take Paul on board because these were his instructions since he himself was going by land. So he sends his companions on board of this ship He's going to go personally by land. And when he met us at Azaz, we took him on board and went to uh, Mytilene. Sailing from there, the next day we arrived off Chios. And the following day we crossed over to Samos. And the day after we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia because he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, for the day of Pentecost. And so if you got your notes, you can see my latest. It's very close to the city of Ephesus. Now, he had spent a lot of time in Ephesus. I don't want to delay, you know, harp on this too, too long, but he had spent about three years in Ephesus. Miletus was a, a close city, a, a port city. And so he, he sends for the leaders in Ephesus. He says, hey, I can't come to the city. I might get tied up. I'm trying to get to Jerusalem on time. And he says, but I tell you what, leaders, how about you come and you meet me in this close city. And, and I, I just want to speak my, my heart to you. And that's exactly what he does. So look at verse 17 with me. It says, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus 
and summon the elders of the church. So he's saying, hey, come meet with me. Come hang out with me. I, I got some things I want to say to you. And then look at verse 18. When they came to him, he said to them, you know, from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears. And during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews, you know that, listen to this, I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you publicly from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul stops in Miletus and he calls for these leaders of the church. And he begins telling them the last words that they will ever communicate on this side of heaven. The last words. And so, like many of us, we want to look into this speech today and see what, was, what would be so vital, what would be so important and so urgent that he would say. Because I would imagine it would be some of the most important things that he would have to say right here. And, and so that's what I want us to, to walk through today. You've got your notes and hopefully you can be able to, to pull these out. And a lot of these things, I'm not going to lie, they're going to come and, it, and it's going to feel like they're random and that he's saying all these different things, but we're going to pull it together towards the very end. And so the first thing that I want you to write down as you see this in your notes is the Apostle Paul's last words that he expressed was the importance, write this down, of his fervent preaching. His fervent preaching at the end of the day for the Apostle Paul, getting the gospel message out was first and foremost in his life. It was the top priority for him. We see that right here in uh, verse 20. You see that it says, you know that I did not avoid, look at this, proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you publicly from house to house. I testified, he talks about both to the Jews and to the Greeks. Listen about the gospel, about repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus. This was the purpose of his life. And he says, look, everything about me is about the gospel. There's a lot of things that I've done. There's a lot of places that I've traveled. I've probably done more than, than most people. But the number one thing that I want you to remember about me is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You might write down this reference, Colossians Chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it to you. It says, We proclaim Christ, warning and teaching with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then listen to this in verse 29. I labor for this, striving with all of God's strength that works powerfully in me. He says, I strive to share the gospel. I strive. This is my labor. This is my labor of love is the gospel. I've heard many Christians who are approaching the end of their lives and that they're getting towards the very end of their lives that 
at the end of the day, there's three things that go through their mind and go through their heart. Who you love, who loves you, and what you did for the kingdom of God. Who you love, who loves you, and what you did for the kingdom of God. Not how much money that you've made, not how powerful or popular that you are, but most people who loves me, people in my life. Of course, God loves them, cares about them, believes in them, who they love and what they have done for the kingdom of God. Apostle Paul is the same. What have I done for the kingdom of God? And this is huge because it reminds us, listen to me, it reminds us how so easily we can get distracted. I was recently at the, um, we have a Louisiana Baptist convention. I was, I've uh, been elected to some committee over there. And so I have to go up to Alexandria every once in a while and we get together, all that kind of th- stuff. But uh, it, it gave me uh, great encouragement that while things in the Southern Baptist Convention are rocky to say the least, that our, that our Louisiana Baptist Convention are rock solid. And one of the things that they kept saying over and over is, guys, we've got to keep the main thing the main thing. We've got to continue moving the, the ball forward and to tell people about Jesus. We've got to draw attention to Jesus. And that's what the Apostle Paul is mentioning here. His fervent preaching of the gospel. And let me tell you something. Let's just take a, a different perspective of this. Satan's number one goal is not to make you a bad person. Do you know that? I think a lot of times we think that. Satan's number one goal is to make me bad. His number one goal is to tempt me so that I'll do bad things. No, no, no. John 10.10 10 tells us that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, to steal, to kill, and destroy. And you know what I see Satan stealing so many times in the lives of believers is their effectiveness for the gospel. Their effectiveness for the gospel. If he can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And being bad, I I would say, maybe is just a means to an end because he wants your life to be ineffective in light of eternity. So what will Satan do? He wants you to be ineffective. He'll use distractions in your life. He'll get you off your Bible, but on social media, or on YouTube, or on TV and movies and binge watching. He wants you distracted because he wants you to be ineffective. He'll, He'll use busyness. He will use temptations. As we'll see here in just a second, he will use wrong beliefs. He'll get you to believe something way out in left field. He'll use persecution. He'll get people talking about you. He'll use persecution. He'll even use things like sickness. And he'll try to take away your effectiveness. All is to keep you of living for God's purpose in your life and spreading the gospel. So the first thing that we see here, the Apostle Paul, his last words express the importance of fervent preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second thing that I want you to write down is that the Apostle Paul's last words express the importance of faithfulness amidst persecution. Faithfulness amidst persecution. Look with me right here in verse 22. It says, And now I am on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in every town the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. But I consider my life worth of no value to myself. My purpose 
is to finish my course and the ministry I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace. Faithfulness amidst persecution. I was talking to a group of godly guys this week and we brought up the, the, the verse Philippians 4.13. I have many people in my life that this is one of their favorite verses. Philippians 4, for, verse, uh, 4 verse 13. I'm able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. A lot of times this Bible verse I've, I've seen is, is used before sporting events. You know, sometimes there's different organizations and they'll get together for a prayer and, you know, the football team's getting ready to run out. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I found a lot of times that this Bible verse is used wrong. I mean, for example, let me just give you an example. If I said, you know, uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Can I jump off a bridge or a building, land on my feet? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Can, can I lift a house? I mean, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What was, what was Paul talking about to the Philippian church in Philippians 4.13? If you go back and you read that chapter, he's actually talking about how God gives him strength in the midst of persecution and hardship in the midst of being chained up, in the midst of, uh, of, of being in a jail cell, in the midst of being beaten, in the midst of hardships, anything that he might face, no money, money, food, no food, pain, no pain. He looks out and he writes to the Philippian church and he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is important because I don't know if you saw right here, in verse 23, he talks about how the Holy Spirit is telling him about not past hardships, but future hardships. They are future ones that he knows are coming. And I don't know what's worse is when persecution and tough times spring up suddenly or when you can see them coming from a mile away. When you can see, oh, I'm getting ready to go into this situation. Paul knows but just like we sang this morning, it is well with my soul. Listen to, you probably remember this. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control. Listen to this. That Christ has regarded my helpless estate and he has shed his own blood for my soul. God didn't save you so that your life would be perfect. I know that there are a lot of churches out there that will preach a health, wealth, prosperity gospel. Give your life to Jesus. Everything will come together. Now, it'll give you purpose. He's got a plan for your life. But many of y'all who have known Jesus for years know it's not a bed of roses. There's many times that you get in situations that are very difficult. You might not even know what to do in those situations. Not everything in life is going to be perfect, but He saved you so that your life would have that purpose. Eternal kingdom of God purpose. And so Paul's last words talks about the gospel and he, and he reminds them about persecution. It's going to come. It's going to happen. It happened to him. It will happen to us too. I want us to look right here in verse 25 through verse 31. It says right here, as we move down the passage, it says, And I know that none of you among whom I, will ever, I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. What a gut-wrenching statement. You'll never see me again, at least on this side of heaven. 
Therefore, I declare to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all of you because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. But look at this in verse 28. So important. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock for which the Holy Spirit has appointed you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves, not real wolves, He's talking about people, People that will come in with all these different types of theology and all these different types of beliefs. Savage wolves is what he's talking about here. And so these savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Look at verse 30. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth and delure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be alert, be on the alert. Remembering that night and day for three years when he was in Ephesus, I never stopped warning each of you with tears. Third thing that I want you to write down. The Apostle Paul's last words express the importance of the flock's protection. The flock's protection. He says, guys, wolves are going to come in. He said, and this is gut-wrenching for me to hear, especially as a pastor. He said, they'll even rise up amongst your own number. That's hard. That's hard because the last thing that I would ever want is from someone from this congregation, someone from our group who we've grown together, we've been friends together, we've been in the fight together, for them to raise an ugly head and say, no, no, and begin to lead a coup. Sometimes that happens in churches and churches split. And the apostle Paul on these last words, he's emphasizing, you've got to protect the flock. So after talking about all these physical dangers and persecutions, Paul charges the Ephesian leaders to protect the church against spiritual dangers. And these words, his last words are urgent. Here's what I want us to understand. The greatest threat to a believer is not a physical threat. You need to hear that. A lot of times we think it's all physical. Things in my life, if I lose my job, if my marriage, you know, things begin to fall apart, all that kind of stuff. We think that those things are the biggest threats. The biggest threat, I want you to hear this in your life and in my life, is wrong belief and wrong passions. If you begin to stray from the Word of God, and if you begin, your heart begins to stray and your passions begin to stray from the Word of God, that is the greatest threat and it is bigger than physical threats. Your thoughts determine your actions and your actions determine your destiny. So it is so important for us to filter every single belief, every single thing as people begin to come in our church and as we grow, all of that has to be filtered through the Bible. One of the reasons our church has, we have a, a six-week, one-hour uh, new members class. We have a new members class. Many of y'all have gone through it, and I'm so thankful that you went through it. If you're wanting to join our church, we would love for you to go through it. My wife teaches it, and she's better at teaching that than I am. It's incredible how good she is with it. But we take time in that class to show you who we are at Memorial biblically and where we're coming from. And, and, and the, one of the reasons that we do that is because if you're not a church member here, then we don't allow you to teach here. 
It's not that we're trying to be mean. It's not that we're trying to be, you know, you know, a click or anything like that. We do that because of this passage right here. We have an obligation from the word of God to protect the flock. We live in a world with an infinite amount of beliefs and an infinite amount of opinions and people will come saying that these beliefs are progressive when in reality they're regressive and we have to be anchored in the Word of God. Here's what I want you to think of. All of us are like ships in the ocean of this world. We're like boats in the ocean of this world. Sometimes it's calm, sometimes it's stormy. But what keeps us, listen to me, from being tossed around in every direction and getting lost is our anchor to the Word of God. And that's what Paul is telling them. He's saying that there are people in this world, and you know what they'll say, metaphorically speaking? They'll say, if you lift your anchor from the Word of God, you'll be free. And you'll be able to go wherever you want to go. Some of y'all have boats here in the room. Some of y'all know what it's like to be out on the water when it begins to storm and when the waves begin to get higher and lower. And let me tell you something, that is not called freedom. That is called flailing and it will ultimately end in a shipwreck. And the Apostle Paul says, watch out for those guys. Watch out for those guys that say, lift your anchor. Watch out for those guys that would pull you away from the Word of God. The next thing that I want us to see is we're, you know, just continuing to, to go down the passage. Look with me in verse 32. It says, And now I commit to you to God and the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. It's talking about heaven there. Then in verse 33, look at this. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that I worked with my own hands to support myself and those who are with me. In every way, I've shown you that it is necessary to help the weak by laboring like this and to remember the word of the Lord Jesus because he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. The last, uh, the next to last thing I want you to write down is that the Apostle Paul, as he's getting into his last words, expressed the importance of the function of his profession. The function of his profession, his job. Now I want you to think about this. You go, okay, Dan, I understand the, the Word of God. I understand persecution. I, you know, I understand you know, being anchored in the Word of God. What in the world does the Apostle Paul's profession have to do with his last words? Well, I'll tell you, okay? Because I absolutely love this. Listen to me. The Apostle Paul was a tent maker and God used his skill set as a tent maker, that's how he made his money, that had really nothing to do with the gospel, okay? Making tents a job had nothing to do with the gospel. You might be thinking, Pastor Dan, my job is secular. I do in the working world, I do engineering or I do teaching or I do this or I do that. And really my job doesn't have every, anything to do with the gospel. Oh, but it does because he took his job, which... You know, on the outside looking in, what we would say has nothing to do with the gospel, and it made it so that it had everything to do with the gospel. The Apostle Paul was able to use his job to provide for his needs and further expand the kingdom. 
Use it to provide for his needs and further expand the kingdom. And so he reminds them. He said, I was never in this for the money. I know a lot of times in our day and age, it's all about the money. I know the economy is on our mind. I know that things, man, groceries are high and, and things are going through our minds and our hearts for our families right now. Let me tell you something. It's not about the money. It's not in the notes, but I'm just reminded. I feel like someone in here needs the encouragement today. Remember what Jesus said? He said, the sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without me knowing. He said, how much more important are you than a sparrow? See, Jesus loves you and He cares about you. And he knows what you need. And you're never in it for the money. Instead, Paul wasn't in it for the money. He was in it for the many. The many people, that is. I like how Tony Evans says it. He says, in God's economy, you will be more blessed if you are a spiritual conduit rather than a spiritual cul-de-sac. You know what a cul-de-sac is. Maybe you live on a cul-de-sac. You walk in you, or you, you drive in a cul-de-sac. There is no outlet. God wants to use you not as a cul-de-sac, but as a conduit. He wants you to be an outlet of His grace. And so what does that mean? It means that He will use your job. He will use the resources that He gives you. It reminds me of my friends, Jess and Owen Schweitzer who I, I met through a, a mutual friend. I, friend I, I wish I had my notes up. I would show you a picture of them here. Um, but they are, the they are the directors of Project Bible Runners. Y'all remember last year how we collected all those Bibles? Do you know that all those Bibles, we collected thousands of Bibles and gave to, to, to have thousands of Bibles sent to Africa. And did you know that there are believers, our brothers and sisters, that are worshiping this morning, well, probably not this morning because of the time change, but they are worshiping today with the Bibles that you gave them. Jess and Owen are the directors of that ministry. And they're gonna be coming this summer and they're gonna be leading our missions for Vacation Bible School. Isn't that neat? We're gonna have missionaries, real life missionaries, leading the mission section of our Vacation Bible School. Well, and I heard what they were doing early. I met them through a mutual friend and how this is what they'll do. Listen to this. So they will actually, especially before COVID and all that, you know, went, went and happened, they were traveling from country to country. And, and so Owen, the husband, would take a 10-day trip to Africa. And then he'd come back for a month. And then his wife would take a one-week trip to Africa. And then she would come back for a month. Now, mind you, they have five kids. I go, how in the world do you guys do this? I was like, and because I really didn't know. I said, what do you guys do for a living that you are able to do this? They said, we decided to be farmers. I said, you could have done anything in the corporate world. You guys are so smart. They're always doing things online. They said, we decided to be farmers. Said, our job has given us that ability because they plant and then they sow. It's amazing how God is using them for the kingdom. Now, listen to me. You don't have to be a farmer and you don't have to be a tent maker for God to use you. The difference is instead of doing a job or having a job, it's using your job for the kingdom. What does that look like? Very briefly, through giving to advance the kingdom, giving your generosity to make a spiritual investment, through being a witness at your job. If all you're doing is going to work, and just getting a paycheck, 
You're not living out your God-given purpose. God wants you to be a witness at your job through your words and through your actions. And then working hard is unto the Lord. I know a lot of us might have monotonous jobs. If you're a ditch digger, or if you are, you know, you have the most monotonous job in the house today. You work hard at your job. As you're not working for a boss, you're working for the Lord. It was important enough for the Apostle Paul to put in his last words. And so I think it's important for us to talk about even now. There's one last thing that I just want to draw our attention to. Three short verses. Look at them with me. Verse 36 through 38, and then I'll wrap up. After he said this, he knelt down and he prayed with all of them. There were many tears shed by everyone, and they embraced Paul and they kissed him grieving most of all over his statement that they would never see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Notice he didn't say, he didn't get to the end of his talk and go, all right, that's it. See y'all later. That's not what he did. He ended with a word of prayer and they committed their ways to the Lord. Even though they wouldn't see each other again, they committed their ways to the Lord. And it is a bitter, sweet ending. Bitter, because they never see each other again. Sweet, because knowing that what they were doing meant something. It meant something to the life to come, and it had a purpose. And so they wanted God to sign off on it. As we get ready to close this morning, I think about my childhood and when I was growing up, and my family moved around several times. That's why I love living in New Orleans. I just, I love living here because I've just moved around a lot as a kid. And I, I, I don't really want to move anymore, you know? I love living in New Orleans. I love being here. And as we moved during my childhood, my parents would go into a new town and they would look for a house in that area. And they would sit down and, and once they found a house that they would, you know, that they want and felt was good for us as kids, they would, they would sit down with all the paperwork. Of course, now I hear you can just, you can just sign a, a quick, you know, um, electronic document and it signs everything all at once. But in the old days, some of y'all know when you bought your house, you had to sit and paperwork was a process in order to finalize everything they needed to sign off on everything. The Apostle Paul could have given the Ephesian leaders all the best advice in the world, but in order to move forward, they would need the Father's signature on it. And so before he leaves with all of his last words, he says, let's pray. Let's pray. And let's commit this to the Lord. And with that being said, I think that it's important for us too to bow and to have a word of prayer and to commit this, this passage into our hearts as well.